Hello Saints, Todd here with SafeguardYourSoul.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are so blessed to have these moments together in the Word of God. And remember, Saints, there's nothing, there's nothing, no thing happening on God's planet that is even remotely as important as the work of the gospel and feeding the sheep of Jesus Christ for whom he died to save so that they can grow in grace, they can be edified, they can be equipped for the work of the ministry according to the scriptures. And let me just guarantee you this one thing, by the grace of God, this outreach will continue to unapologetically endeavor to preach the whole of the word of God, regardless of who gets offended or not in Jesus name. And please remember that your prayers and support are vital to this operation. Thank you. In Psalm chapter 86, the psalmist cries out to God and says, For great is thy mercy toward me, and thou hast delivered my soul from the lowest hell. Amen. The psalmist had the same disposition of contrition, sincerity, and humility in recognition of his own utter depravity outside of Christ's present grace, as did the Apostle Paul. When the Apostle Paul said, There is no good thing that dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. Romans 7, 18 and verse 24, he says, O wretched man that I am, not was, not only was, but am presently, who shall deliver me from the a wretched man that I am? Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? That's Romans 7, 24. Now, notice the consistency in these godly men, the psalmist, and also the apostle Paul, recognizing their own utter need for God. In fact, that's the first statement Jesus makes, the foundation upon which the whole of the longest sermon he ever preached on record, that is, stands, that either stands or falls. There in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, in verse 3, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Again, Matthew 5, 3, note, poor in spirit, not poor financially or religiously but poor in spirit. The two should be mutually exclusive, by the way. The Greek word translated into English as poor here is tokos. It means pauper, beggar, poor, desperate, and spiritually impoverished, desperate. That is, desperate for God in utter need of the help and the presence of God and the current or the present grace, saving grace of Christ. Spiritually impoverished, that is, outside of Christ dwelling in us through the crucified life, Christ looked to desperate, hungry, thirsty people who want more of him. Their hearts pant for more of the Lord, Psalm 42, 1 and 2. As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so my heart panteth after thee, O God. They deeply desire, those that are poor in spirit, deeply desire more of the presence of the Lord. Notice Isaiah 66, 2, but to this man will I look, even to him that is of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. Amen. May God cause you and I right now today to tremble at his word, that we may learn to fear him according to Deuteronomy 4, 10. That's why he gave us his word. And I pray right now that for you and myself, in the name of Jesus, that we would be made poor in spirit as God defines it, as God defines it, and that we would be desperate for God, that we would humble ourselves before him and be blessed to be poor in spirit, to have a contrite spirit, and to tremble at his word in the Holy 
complete fear of God. Now, the absence of a poor or desperate for more of Christ, if you will, spirit, is the clear indicator that a self-righteous person is trusting in himself and not in Christ, and hasn't come, hasn't been brought to the place that the psalmist and the Apostle Paul had been brought, where he can declare that he is poor in spirit, as Jesus put it, that there is no good thing that dwells in him except Christ, and that he can recognize that he is a depraved man and in utter need of God. The phrase poor in spirit speaks of being in a perpetual heart posture of being desperate for the Lord, being fully dependent upon him as a beggar, a pauper, ever reaching up to the Lord, crying out to him, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Amen. We are in utter need of God. And the sins that should concern us the most, beloved, would be our own and not those of another. Remember, the Bible says, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Romans chapter 8, verse 33 and 34. I want to encourage you to make that a passage of great study this week, to pour prayerfully over what is being communicated from heaven into our hearts in Romans 8, 33 and 34. I believe your life will be changed as you incorporate, as you internalize, as you let God teach you his ways through his word. When you witness a brother or a sister becoming weak or having a fault or committing sin, either once or here or there or habitually, God's call for you and I is to help them to be restored to him in the spirit of meekness and to not run them through with the rusty sword of our own self-righteousness. Remember, James 1.20 says, The wrath of man, notice there's a difference between the wrath of man and the wrath of God, and God is the only one who can sit in the place of judgment, ultimately. The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Again, James chapter 1, verse 20. That should be a memory verse right there, beloved. The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. does not bring glory to God. And if we are having attitudes of wrath upon others, that is what he's talking about. That wrath of man, it does not glorify God. James 1.20. Notice in Psalm chapter 1, the Bible speaks of, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. And that ungodly, the first ungodly source would be our own mind or unregenerate or unrepentant self righteous, arrogant spirit. We are not to walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand, notice, in the way of sinners. We are not to shut up the the way into the kingdom of God like the Pharisees did for those who would come back to God or those who would come to Christ for the first time, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Oh boy, God despises when people, especially those who claim to be his, sit in the seat of the scornful. But our delight is to be in the law of the Lord, and in his law we must meditate day and night, O God. Verse 3 of Psalm 1, He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like chafe, which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. And the way of the ungodly is to arrogantly, pridefully, and unwarrantedly, if you will, sit in the seat of the scornful. Now, instead of sitting in the seat of the scornful, what is it that should be our
our approach to those that are fallen or cast down or need to come closer to Christ. Amen. What should be our disposition? So the opposite of sitting in the seat of the scornful would be to have a poor in spirit disposition that God alone can grant us as we humbly submit ourselves to him afresh. Father, we do pray that you would give us a heart of flesh and take away the stony places in our hearts that have been caused not by you, but by our own deliberate sins against you, O God. Restore unto us the joy of thy salvation and grant us to have hearts of flesh, dear Heavenly Father. In the name of Jesus, we thank you for it. Amen. So God's call for us is instead of sitting in the seat of the scornful, to help others who have fallen, stumbled, to be restored to their rightful place with God and never run a rusty sword of our own self-righteous judgment through their heart. Because who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, rather, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who maketh intercession for us. Colossians chapter 3 verse 14 says, And above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness or of maturity. Notice it is the bond of perfectness or maturity. Now I want to encourage you to pour over this scripture for the next at least three days, beloved, every morning or whatever time of day, that you would pour over Colossians 3, verses 12 through 14, and also 1 Corinthians 13. It'll be a life changer to the glory of God. Let me just absolutely guarantee you that. Okay, also remember Ephesians 4, 32, which says, Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, not hardhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Okay, now, so the disposition of being poor in spirit would lead us to help others to be rescued from certain damnation. Notice James 5, 19 and 20. That's the fruit, restoration and a restorative spirit of meekness and humility and love and mercy and graciousness toward others. As God has been to us so mercifully through Christ alone, not for our sake, for his sake, because of what he did, in other words, on his behalf, the behalf of the perfect sacrifice of Christ Jesus on the cross. God has afforded and granted great mercy. It which Ephesians 2, right in the beginning, speaks about, but God, who is rich in mercy, hallelujah, for his great love that he had toward us through Christ, greatest act of love ever displayed on the planet and that ever will be displayed is God sending his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, who was crucified for the sins of the world that we might be made one with him and the Father, being temples of the Holy Spirit, full of the fruit of his righteousness, which we begin with love, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. So James 5, 19 and 20, brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, has anybody else ever erred from the truth other than myself? And notice one convert him, verse, as well as other passages, teach the necessity of reconversion. Anyone who's backslidden must be reconverted if must be restored to their relationship with Christ or they will die and go to a devil's hell and suffer greater punishment than if they had never known the way of righteousness. Second Peter 2, 20 and 21. So he says, brethren, James, right at the end of his five chapter book, brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, you go into error, you depart from truth and one convert him, they convert him, bring him back. Let him know that he which converted the sinner from the error of his way shall 
save a soul from death and shall hide the multitude of sin. Amen. Let's read the passage that it speaks of fervent charity. But the end of all things, Peter writes, 1 Peter 4, verse 7 and 8, but the end of all things is at hand. You know, friends, that has never been more true than it is this moment. The coming of the Lord draweth nigh. But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Do you have a prayer life, beloved, or do you have a life of prayer? The latter is most significantly favorable in the eyes of God. To have a life of prayer, to pray without ceasing. The Bible says men ought always to pray and not to faint. That is Luke chapter 18, verse 1 and 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Pray without ceasing. Oh God, let it be. Quicken it in us, each of us, oh God. In Jesus' name, let us be your wise virgin believers ever looking for the glorious bridegroom who is the king of heaven in Jesus name. Amen. First Peter 4 7 and 8 but the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer and above all things have fervent charity among yourselves for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. And aren't you glad that charity shall cover the multitude of sins and that is God's stated will because he is not willing that any perish. Beloved saint let me ask you something. Aren't you glad that God is not willing that you perish. Now, usually we take that verse and we apply it to the lost. And oh boy, it sure does apply to every soul alive on the earth. Yet this is written to believers. This is written in the same passage, if you will, uh, where the Lord speaks of those who would turn from righteousness there in Second Peter chapter 2. He says it would be better for those, notice verse 20, if they, for if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again, notice, again entangled therein and overcome. Notice the stages of apostasy here. We first begin to become entangled in a sin or in an error or something that doesn't glorify God in our lives. Then if we don't repent at once, and by the way, learn to stay away from being entangled from them at all, but if we don't repent, we're going to become overcome by them. God will allow us to be turned over to strong delusion. In fact, he will send that strong delusion if we make excuse for sin instead of facing it as God says it is, naming it for what it is, and that it is a sin. I know that's a word we never hear in the modern church anymore, but it's in the Bible and we're accountable for it. We're going to talk about it right here on SafeguardYourSoul.com continually in every correspondence that we are blessed to put out. Notice they are again entangled therein and overcome. See, that's how it happens in stages. You know, then when lust has conceived, James wrote, it bring it then when lust has conceived, it bring it forth sin and sin when it is finished, bring forth death. See, again, stages. And if you recognize that right now in your mind, beloved, or in your life or your ways and your heart that you have any sin, let me encourage you to repent of it today. Bring it honestly before the Lord and ask him to deliver you from it and make you whole and ever strengthen you in that regard in Jesus name. Amen. To cry out to God like David did, Lord, create in me a clean heart. Oh God, renew a right spirit within me. Cleanse me, wash me, purge me. I love it. Don't you love Psalm 51? Is there ever a time that that doesn't minister to our spirits? Okay, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning, where it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness and after they have known it, after they knew it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. Now, if you could still believe, once saved, always saved, after reading that passage, you 
are deliberately heretical and demonic. You're in the realm of Satan who first told that lie. You're not being honest with God or yourself or anybody else. Notice Proverbs 28, 13 says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whosoever confesses and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Now, if you need a memory verse, that is definitely one. Proverbs 28, 13. Please record that. Take it home. Write it on the index card from the King James Bible and memorize it and incorporate it into your lives, beloved. You don't own it till you memorize it. You don't own it in the way you could own it, if you will, until you memorize it. And that's when it becomes something you can meditate on and becomes internalized by the Holy Spirit in your life as you apply yourself to the Lord and to His Word, searching the Scriptures daily, studying to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of Truth. So, in the same context that he speaks about these backsliders who are in danger of having a worse suffering for eternity in hell than if they had never known the Lord, he says this, the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering. Thank God for that. Amen. To usward, there it is. He's talking to usward, directly tells us here distinctly that he's talking about his body, not willing, not willing that any should perish. He's talking about me and you first and foremost. You ever catch that? There it is right there. Second Peter 3, 9. He's not willing that Todd perishes, that you put your name in there, perish. He's not willing that we perish. You know, when you get in a sin and you feel condemned by your own conscience, sometimes if you like me, you feel like God is mad at you. He's turned you. No, read Luke 15. There's three parables there that uh, gloriously show the restoration, love, and desire of the Father. Amen. The Father is God, the Father in heaven, who restores the prodigal, the wayward, the backslidden sons and daughters. But they have to come back to him. He requires it. That's repentance, returning to him. Turn again to the Lord. He's not going to come get you and force you back. God is a gentleman, as some have said, and I agree with that. He's not going to force his way on you. No no godly man or good man even forces himself on a woman or even tries to. That's not love. It's got to be something that's a mutual desire and coming together. It's the same with God. He's not willing that any should perish, but he's not going to run you down, chase you down, and you know he'll let you die and go to hell. That's how much he loves you. He gave you free will. Somebody says, nothing can separate us from the love of God. That's right. But it doesn't say the life of God, the love of God. He will love you all the way into hell. Some people try to use that to prove as a proof text for once saved, always saved. That's utterly misapplied and ridiculous. All right, so not willing that any should perish. That's us. Put your name on that, beloved. But that all should come to repentance. Repentance is an absolute essential, even though we never hear it in the modern church, because it's been taken out of the fake Bibles, these lightweight pastors, so-called, that we have commandeering straight into the ground, the modern church. Notice here, God is ready to forgive. Aren't you glad that God is ready to forgive, beloved? I guess we'll kind of come in for a landing here. There's so much to be said on this subject. And also, we have categories I want to point you to. One of them's mercy on safeguardyoursoul.com. Look at the uh, category drop-down menu. I think there's nearly 200 or more categories. Absolutely a loaded storehouse of Holy Scripture topics, etc., and wisdom from God's Word. Two of them of the categories would be mercy and restoration. Also, there's church discipline and restoration. Just go to the alphabetically. If you're looking for mercy, put in an M and slide down, you'll see it. If you're looking for restoration, put in R and boom, it'll go right down to it. I get that question. People ask how to find things on the site. It's all right there, beloved. If you do have questions, let me know. We want to help you to grow in Christ and the grace of Christ and be resourceful in his word for your own life and to help others too. So look for the category drop 
drop-down menu. Okay, here we go. Now, there's also a search box, too, by the way. You put in a word, and where it appears on the site, it should come up. Okay, so if God is so good and gracious and ready to forgive, quote-unquote, should that, shouldn't that be our own disposition toward the fallen? Of course it should. If Christ is truly in us, we have love to the fallen. Jesus didn't come to destroy men's lives, but to save them, right? Luke 9, 56. Also, remember John three seventeen says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. Wow. Memorize those two verses, and boy, home run, telling you. That'll change the way you view God and view others. God is merciful. You and I certainly wouldn't be together here, even though it be by technology, breathing and fellowshipping together if God wasn't merciful. Right. That's right. So if God is ready to forgive others and us, why is it or should I say, let it be our own disposition? And Father, we pray that it would. We pray that you'd fill us full, Lord, and develop in us to produce in us, if you will, to cultivate in us the true, your true love, God. It's only you can do. And we know that will include reaching a hand out to help restore and to edify and to build up the brethren, Lord, though they be downcast or even entangled in a sin or overcome by a sin. Oh, God, help. Help us, use us in Jesus' name. Here it is, Psalm 86.5. For thou, Lord, art good. Aren't you glad that God is good? Why would he have saved fallen mankind in the days of Noah if he wasn't good? Wow, he would not have. Somebody says, wait a minute, brother, that's not a high enough name. God is great. No, God is both good and great. In fact, we have a post on the website <laughs> on that very topic. God is great means he's utterly almighty, omnipotent. But God is good deals with his disposition. It reveals, it gives us an observation of the disposition of goodness. Amen. It's his goodness that leads us to repentance right in the middle of our sin. Romans 2, 4. Okay, for thou, Lord, art good. I love it. I want you to go through this chapter, Psalm 86. It is so loaded, I can't even begin. Don't even get me started. We will be here two more hours. Okay, and you'll see why when you read Psalm 86. Amen. Thou, Lord, art good. Notice he's not only good, he's ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all that call upon him. Amen. Three things. God is what? Good, ready to forgive, plenteous in mercy. Oh, aren't you glad? I know none of you have needed as much mercy as I've needed, but I know for me, and I know probably you too, that you realize the blessing of God's plenteousness of his mercy, the depth of it, uh, the resource of it being so deep and so good. Amen. He's ready to forgive. He's good. He's ready to forgive, and he's plenteous and mercy. God didn't run out of mercy and he never will. Now he will forgive those who and show mercy to those that fear him. God doesn't indiscriminately pour out and dump his mercy on people so much as those that fear him. It's qualified. Psalm 103.11. Okay, so notice here also in Psalm 86 verse 15. As we close, notice we just read Psalm 86.5. Now we're going to jump into 15, verse 15. Psalm 86. But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion. Aren't you glad God God is so full of compassion and gracious. Wow, meditate on that. And the third thing, long-suffering. Oh, hallelujah. And number four, plenteous in mercy. God is plenteous in mercy. Three things in verse five, four things in verse 15 that God is. These are the characteristics, the attributes of God that I want to encourage you to ask him to teach your heart and to help you learn as you study Psalm 86. God bless you, friends. Please avail yourself to the many resources on safeguardyoursoul.com. And thank you for your much-needed prayers and 
and support. Well, brothers and sisters, it's been a blessing to spend these moments with you in the Word of God. And remember, there's hundreds of more Christ-centered, scripture-rich, edifying podcasts on safeguardyoursoul.com forward slash audios. There's also a store page with several many books on there for your edification in Christ. They're all scripture-rich and Christ-centered. Also, tens of thousands of saints and sinners are being reached every month, and your prayers are coveted for the fruitfulness and supply of this outreach. God be praised, by the way, for those who are supporting, and feel free to visit our donate page on the site, and you can use your debit card, PayPal, or Patreon, and you can become a monthly sustaining member if you choose to do so, and a gift of any amount is so appreciated. Part of this outreach is to equip and supply other ministering disciples across our great country and all over the world. And may God be praised that there's fruitfulness happening among his people and through his beloved saints as we know that the return of our Lord Jesus Christ draws nigh. And we say together in the words of Revelation 22, even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen.